So you're probably gonna hear some birds chirping. Ah, that's so, fine. Whatever. Fuck them. Yeah. Fuck the birds. I think it gives a good like little like you know mellow ambiance to this podcast. Because if this podcast is anything, it's really mellow and chill and calm and collected. We're gonna we're gonna ease into today's episode. Oh yeah. Sponsored by these relaxation pills I just got. Oh yeah. I just been taking a bunch of them. I'm not reading the label. Mm-hmm. Just uh, to keep me cool. You know, no one's ever died from a pill overdose. This so. episode is sponsored by Oxycodone. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Waffle Press retrospectives. It's a, it's it's the 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 retrospective of madness. Uh... We're talking about four different movies today. One, I we, we have always said we will never do a full Marvel Cinematic Universe retrospective. This is the closest we're going to get. We're talking Spider-Man No Way Home, a little Eternals, a little Doctor Strange, but we're going to start with Scream 2022 because it's also the Scream retrospective. Yeah. There are no rules anymore. No more rules. Multiverses you, are in, kids. Unless you consider all the rules that the films establish themselves uh, by adhering to the formula that the first film made, because as you know, Matt Garingo, my co-host, yes, is that everything always goes back to the original. Yes, that's th- isn't that the truth? It always has to go back to the original. Isn't but that... also, <laughs> you shouldn't bend over backwards to please fans. Also, uh, you should maybe work on your script a little more. <laughs> So I don't come away not totally figuring out where you stand on a lot of things. All right, uh, we're gonna start with Scream, Matt. Do you do you have anything? Because I think we're gonna go pretty hard on some of these. Yeah, today. you're gonna go harder on Scream from what uh, you've said to me in private. Um, <laughs> I uh, my big take on the new Scream movie is that I was mostly bored watching it, and I. I may or may not have started watching Norm Macdonald clips on my phone <laughs> while the movie was playing because I was bored. Um, I tried to get my sister to watch it with me because she's a big Scream fan as well. And, like, for the past week, I've been, like, every night, like, you want to watch it? She's like, yeah. And then, like, at the last minute, she's like, ah, I don't want to watch it. So I basically rolled out of bed this morning just to watch it by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I literally... All right, I, I probably finished the movie like a half hour before we started recording it's already leaving my brain as to what of any value was in the movie um it felt like a big nothing in a lot of ways and if i wanted to be a contrarian if i wanted to kind of be like film twitter's got it wrong my take might be that a lot of the badness of this movie was intentional and this is an intentional snipe at the weird recycling of ideas and film and, and all this IP bullshit that happens today. And that this is actually a lot like fucking Matrix Resurrections or some shit. That it's like almost a prank on the audience. Um, but they're already working on Scream 6, I believe. 
Yeah, it shoots this summer. Yeah, so it's like... Even if they were trying to do that, like, the very existence of Scream 6, like, fucks this all up. Like, I it, it makes this movie not really be able to stand for anything in a lot of ways. Um... But Mac Ringo, my co-host and friend, wouldn't some people argue that none of the sequels would stand for anything if they keep having sequels? The sequels to Scream, I mean. Uh, whatever. Was that? The- uh, yeah, I, I don't think I, I've heard that because I've heard that argument. I've seen that argument on, on Twitter specifically, where it's like, well, none of the sequels really matter, and it's like, no. They all have a point to them. Mm-hmm. Like, Scream 3 is looking pretty good right now, because at least it's about stuff, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's, like, very specifically about how, like, the industry is predatory and, like, it will take real life... Tra- I mean, all the Scream sequels are about, like, the relationship media has to violence and how eventually it becomes repackaged and sold to other people in spite of the initial victims, like, uh, ability to live their own lives. And that's why Scream 3 is not... It, I can't fully get on board with it still. I'm sorry. But it is a very interesting film. Yeah. And Scream 5 is so fucking bad. I am I am genuinely bummed. I'm not, like, angry. I think I've, I've, been, I've been joking about how angry I am about it. Like, there's stuff that definitely, like, annoys me with this film. But I, I'm definitely on board with the approach to, like, dismissing toxic fan ownership of media properties. I don't know... If it all works, yeah, no, you know, I know it doesn't all work. I I really do appreciate that though, um, and that's maybe the only thing I appreciate from it, outside of some of the directing of the kill sequences, which are appropriately very brutal and scary. Yeah, well, not scary, but like brutal and violent and tragic. The movie needed more of that energy. Like the kills, you can tell like a switch kind of flips on, you know, with the directing. Yeah, I like. I like these guys. I really liked Ready or Not. Yeah. So at the very least, I thought, like, well, it'll be well-directed. And it's, like, not outside of the kills. I was shocked. Yeah. Like, from the opening moment, I I was like, oh, shit, what happened? And I know this was a COVID shoot, and so, like, the budget... The budget of everything that films right now because of COVID safety protocols doubles from what it would have been. Yeah. Um. So it's, like, the budget's, like, $24 million. I, I don't fully believe it... It all went to, like, the actual filmmaking. Uh-huh. Um, I think this was a smaller budget film initially. Uh, but it, it feels really cheap and, like, strung together. And there's just, like, no real, like, like vision to any of the direction of anything. Um, I think the characters are all, like, woefully underwritten apart from, like, a bullet point checklist of, like, yeah, how, like, uh, prestige... Uh, elevated horror is about trauma. So this film is about trauma. Mm. And it doesn't find a way to marry those the idea and the approach to that in any meaningful way. It just says what it's about. Like I said, I like I almost want to be charitable. Um, and I, I swear to God, I thought this before I found out who had a cameo in the movie. I swear to God. But this movie almost felt like a parody of Rise of Skywalker in a lot of ways mm. of just like we're gonna bring in connections that don't matter and don't need to be there and add nothing mm-hmm. to the plot and like i'm like are they trying to deliberately like invoke this tensionlessness like is the mo- movie supposed to feel this limp like it, I, again i want like 
I don't know enough about these guys to give them that benefit of the doubt. And like I said, and the fact that Scream 6 is already on the horizon from the same creative team makes me not want to give them the benefit of the doubt here, you know? Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there is a scene in this where we find out that a character is related to a character from the first movie, and it is done as flatly and boringly as possible. <laughs> The reveal of it isn't like there's no energy to it. It's really just too. It's like a shot, reverse shot, back and forth conversation. There isn't any sort of thrilling reveal to it, and it doesn't really add any tension or weight to any of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what happened in Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> With we are a Palpatine, <laughs> like it's it, it it was a a piece. It's a a bombshell piece of information dropped in the limpest way possible and then adds nothing to the film ultimately you know yeah there, there's another movie we're going to talk about today that i don't really care for a lot of the writing in it mm. but the direction is so invigorating and exciting that i really came away very positive from it mm-hmm. and this is like i don't come away positive from the idea or the direction yeah and let me tell you i did not know billy loomis was in this movie as a ghost as mm. a de-aged ghost my jaw like fucking dropped yesterday when I was watching this. That was a moment. I I was I was shocked mm-hmm. at what might be the worst decision I've seen in a horror sequel in in, a, in quite some time. I I think I liked Halloween Kills more is what I'm saying. So what you're saying is evil dies tonight. I don't fucking know. Smashing um, windows. <laughs> no, but uh, positives. Positives. I think we were saying positives. <laughs> positives. Let's, let's, I want to focus on that. Positives. Positives. I really like the, the finite runtime of the film. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the the group Radio Silence, of which these two directors, Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillette, are part of. I think they're very talented. Again, I like Red or Not a lot. I think the cast is uniformly very good and some people are fucking fantastic like uh jenna ortega who mm-hmm. plays tara carpenter get it because there's everyone has a fucking name see, see all this stuff in like other west craven movies doesn't bother me mm-hmm. but when other people try to like incorporate his meta text it like doesn't work and annoys me yeah um but uh, jenna ortega is like amazing in this i think that's like a star making performance as as the little sister who cannot for the life of her uh, stop getting stabbed. <laughs> um, I, kinda, I thought she was great. Yeah, I, I, that was actually also something I like that like they they can't really kill her is kind of funny. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that they like even the first kill they don't succeed at. Which again was like a moment like are they tr- like maybe this is trying to say something clever about like the limpness of like this like reboot culture like that like they literally can't go through with the kills they're trying to do a lot of the time. Yeah, because uh, the other two characters that live mm-hmm. and are stabbed, um, Mindy Meeks Martin and Chad Meeks Martin, uh, played by Mason Gooding and Jasmine Savoy Brown, uh, who I think are, are great up-and-comers. I, I think yeah. we're going to see a lot of them soon. Um, they also live, and I, I thought that too. I was like, okay, so there's clearly like an attempt at an idea here uh, so what, what happened? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that's really what I'm walking away from this. Like, I'm really scratching my head at like, what, 
happened here? Maybe COVID. Because this is nothing but a crew of talented people who worked on this movie, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, maybe COVID just fucked it up. Maybe they had, like, bigger plans, and, like, they just, COVID, like, they had to devote resources to COVID protections and shit. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, Uh, Also, look... Scream Four does everything else this movie tries to do significantly. Yeah, I don't know. I, do, I, 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 I didn't want it. I didn't want that to be my only take. Is what I want to. say. I want to give this movie credit. I do think this movie is trying to do its own thing a little bit. Like Scream Four is calling retro. Is calling like reboot culture that's coming. Like it called it shot. I think this is at least like kind of reflecting on the cultural wasteland we currently live in a little bit, or at least mm-hmm. trying to. Um, but. Yeah, it just, I don't know, it, I, I came away more confused than anything else, and I felt bad that I was so bored, like, even, like, when big moments happened, I was like, oh, I guess that happened, you know, like, nothing, yeah. nothing, oh, also, um, I had the uh, killer spoiled for me because I was watching uh, Red Letter Media, and uh, Jack Quaid appeared on the recent episode of Best of the Worst. <laughs> Yeah, you told me not to uh, to watch it when you saw it, mm-hmm. and I didn't know he was on it. Mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, not watching Red Letter Media until I watched the new Scream. Mm-hmm. So he's, and uh, yeah, it worked out for me, I guess. He's on an episode of Best of the Worst talking about bad movies. Um, he, he was couldn't bring this one on though. He, hey yo, sorry, uh, I couldn't help it. Um, I will say, uh. They telegraph the connection between the killers because there's always two in this franchise for the most part. Mm. They telegraph the connection pretty early, and I was like, "Oh fuck, did they just show their hand, or is that is this film going to be more clever than I'm feeling it is?" Mm. And it turns out to not be as clever mm-hmm. as it thinks it is. Um, and I was like, I, I, when I called it when they they meet in the hospital, and it like lingers, it lingers too much. It's just like a split second, but I was like, "Oh fuck, did they just did they just do that?" Um, and they, they they did, and they called it, and I was texting another group of friends about it, and I was like, guys, this is really bad. What the fuck were you all talking about? <laughs> uh, and they were like, who do you think it is? Because I, so I, I had a very busy day the other day, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to sit down and watch it, and then see if I can finish it, and if not, I'll finish it later when I get back home. And the first half of it, I, I got up to write when they go back to the hospital, right? The scene before Dewey dies, R.I.P., my king, mm-hmm. my goofball king, who doesn't resemble his former self at all, which is intentional. That's very intentional, and I did like that. Um, and I was like, I, I don't know if I'm going to finish this. I might just go to the retrospective and say, like, I, I couldn't do it. I think that break between the first half of the movie and the second half helped me appreciate what worked in the back half more. Mm-hmm. Like, when they fully reveal the killer stuff... And they're like, oh, we're doing this because we want to, like, because we love these movies so much. And and we, we, we want to take this franchise back from the people that, that ruined it, you know, in, in their eyes. I'm like, okay, like, for Scream to comment on something, again, it's nice. It felt like the first half of the movie didn't tie into that, really. Uh, and maybe it didn't. I'm just, I was just really disappointed and I couldn't see it. Like, I know um, the Jack Quaid character is, like, watching all of the stab movies on his on his Netflix account <laughs> which I liked uh, but I I just don't I think there's a lot of ideas that aren't tied to anything like they're talking about elevated horror in one sequence and then they're talking about uh, toxic fandom in one sequence and then another thread is like uh, about the legacy characters and how like 
well, they're not really part of this. But then the filmmaking, that's when it starts to come alive and be like, look, guys, here's a Gale reveal. And it's like, why did you do that, though? And then there's a Sydney reveal. And I was like, I I didn't know what to feel about any of it. And it, so instead, I just walk away being confused and very disappointed. It's a bad movie is what I'm saying. And that really bummed me out. Yeah. And it, it kind of proves that what Craven and Kevin Williams did, did together is kind of a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> four times. Yeah, four times. Even if we, even if both of us aren't like as big as fan of three as other people are um yeah there's at least there's at least meat on those bones you know whereas mm-hmm. this is just kind of like i don't know i just also all this stuff it's just it's so much harder to make a movie like this now because every conversation is already being had a dozen times over online so like to actually be clever and refreshing is like a real challenge and then on top of that if the movie like if you can't match that with any sort of cinematic language it just becomes confusing <laughs> Yeah, and I think a, a big problem with that too, with the, especially with the dialogue portions. Oh yeah, is that it does just feel like regurgitated conversations we've all had on Twitter. Yeah, and then it made me think of that old Roger Ebert quote, where it's like, "Is this ninety-minute movie I'm going to watch more interesting than these actors having a conversation in front of the camera mm-hmm. about the same subject matter?" And I don't think this movie is okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and look, no no disrespect to any of the cast. Uh, uh, my girl from In the Heights, Melissa Beretta, um, is maybe the weak link, but I also don't know what you do with that character. Yeah, that's a really bad character. And... Uh, yeah, give her more interesting stuff next time. Like for the love mm. of God, what the fuck, dude? Because <laughs> like when I walked away from that other bad film. I was like, okay, but these people are stars. What are they going to do next? And mm. then she got cast in Scream, and I was like, oh, fuck yeah, let's go. And and now I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> do do something else. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just really, really bummed by this movie. Uh, I, don't, I don't hate anyone involved in it. Mm. I don't judge them for wanting to do it. It's definitely, and I've heard this regurgitated a lot, you know, it's like, oh, it's such a love letter to the original Scream. And it's like okay, I don't. I wouldn't then have say all that. these people talk about scream for ninety minutes in front of a camera. Don't I wouldn't make another scream say movie. that at all, though. Like it's, it's definitely you can tell this was made with a lot of love of Wes Craven. There's even like I mean, there's a whole the movie basically goes down a massive detour to find mm-hmm. a way to shoehorn in a tribute to Wes Craven. Yeah, <laughs> but it was clearly made with respect and love, but. Like, yeah, it it didn't feel like a scream movie in a lot of ways, which was also kind of odd, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, no, I mean that that's actually a good point though too, because uh, at the end of the day, you could make something with all the love and commitment in the world and still miss the mark. Yeah, you know? and that's that's okay. Uh, I will say again, I think the the kills and the set pieces are very good. So if they are like they're committed to keeping this going, and this film did very well for the era it was released in in January, because uh-huh. that's when other movies besides Spider Man were just like dropping off the face of the earth immediately. Um, don't don't try to do this again. And it looks like the other legacy characters besides uh, Kirby are not coming back. Uh-huh. Hay- Hayden Panettiere, who has a picture cameo in this film yes. apparently that I missed on on this watch, but I saw it was there. Um, 
everything else is going to be like a, another fresh start. So I would say just focus on the kills and the excitement factor next time because it does kind of come alive again when, when they do that here. At this point, I honestly think you could do a really good Scream sequel. It might be too on the nose and it'd have to be a really good script. But at this point in the Scream universe, the Stab franchise has inspired a lot of genuine real murders. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um and i feel like it would turn into a weird moral panic about these movies and i think you could do a lot with that considering where the culture is right now um we're going through a lot of moral panics right now that would and, be a fascinating idea yeah and it's just like it's like a weird thing of like you don't even you could even like remove a mystery element from the film almost and just like there are scream murders just happening because people keep trying to imitate these movies, or are they trying to imitate these movies? You know, like mm -hmm. like are they using them as an excuse? Like they're gonna be, the, they're trying to do that like regardless. The, like the ABC murders. Did you ever read that? No. Um, I think that's what it's called. I think it's Agatha Christie, where there is a killer going around killing people um, in the order of the alphabet, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like first date, like it name begins with A, and name begins with B. So it looks like, oh, it's like a weird, crazy serial killer. But actually, like after a certain point, they're killing the actual people they're trying to kill to like inherit this money or something. I think that's the plot of that story. Okay. So oh, that that's interesting. They make I mean, it, it look like random killings, but really, it was it was a plot the whole time. So that's always kind of fun with these these murder mysteries yeah. and. I think that would, um, in a way, kind of... That's why you get this kind of back on track. Not that it needs to. I don't want to sound like one of the actual fanboys in this movie. Yeah. But, like, um, you, you get, like, this meta-textual Ouroboros <laughs> with the first film mm -hmm. and the original... Like, the whole franchise, actually. Because, like, the evolution of the Scream sequels all goes back to the original. But also, like, I, I really do think it goes back to the idea of, like, the media relationship with violence and mm -hmm. the glamorization of it. And the uh, the commerce of it, but also you know? just so like that would why, be another angle on that, and why we like these movies. Like, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to explore there, in a way that isn't just looking down on people, you know, or like yeah. being like you're a weirdo if you like these type of movies, while also not glorifying it in a way that like like that seems to be the only two modes our culture works in now, where it's like you're either like a glorious angel sent from heaven if you like X, Y, and Z. Or you're a creepy weirdo psychopath if you like the other shit. Like mm -hmm. that seems to be the only two speeds we work in sometimes. Um, and it'd be good to see a genuine exploration of that, especially in the age of elevated horror, where now like kids talk about horror films the way like you know they talk about Marvel movies almost. I wouldn't even mm -hmm. say that. Like they, you know, but people know Ari Aster. Like teenagers know who Ari Aster is, and that's interesting. And they and it's not like teens are watching it and coming out of the movie and not realizing it's a movie about trauma. Like they go in knowing they're going to watch a movie about trauma, mm -hmm. and then it's like like that's interesting. That's different. I mean, I used to be the one asshole that pointed out very obvious themes in a movie, and people would be like, "I think you're reading too much into that." Like, yeah. and now people go in expecting those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and does that just now marketing too? Like to be like, oh, a movie about trauma. Like now is that marketing hype? That's there's stuff to do there. Um, 
but I'm not sure I'm super into seeing more Scream movies at this point. Uh, no, I am not either, but if Hayden Panettiere's coming back, uh, I have to watch it now. Yeah. Because I I even uh, was, again, in that group chat I was in uh, with my friends, I was like, I don't think I'm going to do the next one. And then I was like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this one either. I'll come back later. Within the three hours that I returned to that group chat, Hayden Panettiere was announced after returning to Scream 6. So I was All like, right. well... I guess I got it now. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest, that's probably the thing that helped me finish the film. Because <laughs> I'm such a fan. But uh, we will see. Um, and you mentioned Ryan Johnson had a cameo. Is I, Where was that? I, there's there's a party for uh, when Wes dies. The character Wes. Wes Craven, right? Mm-hmm. There's a party, and I guess they do a toast. And they mixed in a bunch of different people's voices during the toast. So it's like, uh, I think you can hear, it. according to Wikipedia, it's Matthew Lillard, Drew Barrymore, Jamie Kennedy, Henry Winkler, um, Hayden Panettiere, Adam Brody, um, Wes Craven's widow, um, the directors, um, Kevin Williamson, and Ryan Johnson are all like people giving a toast to Wes. Um, and a lot, a lot of those people, like, of course, they have direct connections to Wes Craven, so, like, that makes sense. And Wes Craven's also one of those dudes who, like, he kind of feels like a lot of those old horror guys, unfortunately, never really got his due while he was alive, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it makes sense. But, like, Ryan Johnson's, like, this weird outlier. I don't know if he has a connection to Wes Craven that I'm not aware of. Like, maybe he met Wes Craven when he was really young and gave him some advice or something or if he's just buddies with the directors and he asked to be in it or if they were like hey uh, Ryan Johnson do a voice in this movie because this is us taking the piss out of Rise of Skywalker yeah I mean they might just be fans of The Last Jedi and be like no we're, we're putting this in the movie because you made a good fucking yeah. movie and people are weird about it being different or whatever. Yeah. It's not even that fucking different, but I, whatever. That's I know. Conversation. I know. I know. We've had every um, fucking con- I You know what I like, though, now, is that they, they've given up on arguing other points, and now they've just gone to Luke Skywalker wouldn't do that. Yeah. Which is like, hey, look, it, you don't think he did, would do that. That's at least honest. At mm-hmm. least you're not trying to, like, be objective about whatever the fuck. Like... <laughs> Yeah, speaking of things I also like and enjoy, um, shout out to the YouTube channel Dead Meat. I like that channel a lot. It's very entertaining. It might be the last good YouTube channel, mm-hmm. I'm including my own. <laughs> um, uh, it was nice to see them uh, be more asshole versions of themselves mm-hmm. and ally with the worst type of fans ever. I mean, the channel's literally called like Film Fail, right? Yeah, it was called Film Fails. Yeah, that's just, that's exactly those type of assholes. Because mm-hmm. um, they're like not like that when you listen to their like podcasts or mm-hmm. the even the kill count, which is a more stylized version of their uh, their talking points. You know, um, that's nice. I know they're also friends with the directors too. Uh, they interviewed them for like uh, Ready or Not, and mm-hmm. then they just like became buddies after that. So I don't know. I'm focusing on the positives here. Um, it's a bummer. I'm not gonna be mad about it. Uh, it did suck to see that the Scream 4 character that lived uh, also died horribly. Yeah, that was a weird choice. Yeah, I that felt mean. I think that's the thing. These kills feel, like, mean and not in, like, a fun way. 
Um, not yeah. that they have to, because of like the, the scream subject matter doesn't always need to be that, but it it was just a weird feeling, and it's again, it's not something I'm angry about. I'm just more confused. I gotta be honest, I, like I have that thing with slash films sometimes where I'm like, "Fuck yeah, let's watch a fucking slasher film," and then like I watch it and I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is a movie about people." getting stabbed as they fight for their life. I'm not super into that. Like, mm. But I have to, you know, it's a movie. But yeah, mm. the, these were... I don't know, there's a lot of brutal kills throughout the whole Scream franchise. Like, yeah. No, no, it, it, it's not It's not even a criticism I have. I, it's just the tone is, is very odd, and Scream has a very particular balancing of, of tones. Poor Allison um, Brie got thrown off that roof in Scream yeah. 4 after getting stabbed. Uh, oh, and shout out to actress Mikey Madison, who must have her contract that if I'm going to get killed, I need to be lit on fire. <laughs> She's a ton of that, fun. Um, she she has a great turn in the third act. The acting's yeah. really good in this. I, I really like this character. She has a, a great turn in the third act if you didn't see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... um. Uh, but when she when she goes like "Welcome to the third act," and shoots that chick in the fucking head, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like that was like harsh. That is you know? pretty harsh, yeah. Uh, and then that the characters. Uh, this is my last thing, and then I guess we can move on because I think we're just gonna be repeating points. But the, there's no real sense of character or place in the Woodsboro town or its people mm-hmm. this time, and I know that was definitely a COVID thing. I I understand that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it go down any easier though. Like I I don't actually know these kids lives the way i did the other films in this franchise is like yeah like what they had going on outside of the plot stuff i guess and, again, and that's just kind of a bummer so like when they end up having the party if that's intentional sorry, part of me wonders if that was like an intentional thing they were trying to do yeah i, I think maybe. there is a problem with reboot culture where like they go like well, they're related to this person, or they are the new version of this person, but then they don't bother to give these characters interior lives, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that is a genuine complaint I do have about the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, is that it feels like some of those characters, at least in Force Awakens, <laughs> didn't have interior lives. Yeah. And um, Last Jedi did a lot to remedy that, and then it got all thrown out the window. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Scream 6 will remedy it, and then Scream 7 will toss it out the window. Yeah. That has to be the trajectory. I think they should just bring Ryan Johnson in to do the second reboot film of every franchise now. And just that would be incredible. People. And just upset people. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. keep doing it, because why not? Well, we'll talk about it, but I think a lot of people don't want to be challenged by stuff they watch. At least in Hollywood, like mm-hmm. it, with, with in American culture. We are definitely, like you said, in a cultural wasteland right now. Uh-huh. And people just want to be appeased by what they're watching. Like, I wanted that. Did I get that? Okay, good. And it's like, that's like the end of the, the thinking point. I do not know what people even think they want these days. And that will be a big point of discussion with our next film. I mean, we can kind of go to it unless you have more on Scream. Five Cream. I didn't call it Five Cream. Fuck! Um, Scram Five. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Scrim. Scriminisms. Um, 
Scream 5 Man No Way Home? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, movie's not good, but you know it was a lot worse? Spider-Man <laughs> No Way Home. Alright, uh, let, let me do my thing first then, and then you go to town. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home is a bad film that I did momentarily enjoy at times. Um, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield still fucking got it. Andrew Garfield is very delightful. And it's no wonder people were like very taken with his performance in this. Uh, none of these people are characters anymore. I miss uh, when Spider-Man Homecoming left me with optimism about where Spider-Man could go in uh, a grander franchise. But even that becomes irrelevant because this film isn't interested in anything else besides... Uh, smashing the five scripts they had together and clearly just trying to make as much money as possible by spending more money than God to get Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield back, along with Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, and and the other characters that people are less interested in. Uh, Zendaya deserves better. Ned Leeds deserves better. Tom Holland gives a genuinely good performance in this, and it makes me more upset that he's kind of been wasted in hindsight. It's a bad film. I like it more than Far From Home, but Matt does not. So, go ahead. I strongly feel that this is an insult to life itself. There is... There, well, hang on, now I gotta think of the Orson Welles quote. What does he say? Like, there is nothing more detestable in modern cinema than the homage. Than the homage. <laughs> yeah, he would fucking, like, assault the screen that showed this film. Yeah, um... <laughs> I, ha- I I said this in my letterbox review. I haven't felt this unclean watching a major blockbuster since Jurassic World. Uh, it's in that ballpark, at least. I think Jurassic World might be worse just because of the sheer incompetence of that film. But oh, there uh, is incompetence to spare. This is well. This is incredibly flat, which is shocking. Honestly, like I I have to say that might be just John Watts not knowing what to do under COVID restrictions. Because I'm not going to say John Watts was like this is this visionary fucking director or anything, but he's definitely a lot better than what's on screen here. Like this was, good lord. Um, I honestly don't even know where to begin. It it was uh... okay, okay, okay. So yeah, yeah, you you go you go. The movie is like almost made two billion dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it. A lot of people responded incredibly strongly to this movie. Um, people I respect responded really strongly. I had been avoiding it um, mainly because COVID was surging when the movie came out. I would like someone out there that knows science to write a paper that statistically estimates how many people died of COVID directly connected to Spider-Man: No Way Home. So I, can, I was saving that bullet, but thank you. <laughs> so we can give this movie a fucking death count, like, um, hey, welcome to the kill count. Yeah, hey, fuck you. Um, Sorry. So I I knew enough. They you know they remember they were like trying to keep it a secret that the Spider Men were gonna appear in the movie that McGuire like they did not let that out until like the week of release. Uh, so, like, there was a lot of hype around that. I knew that was going to happen. Diego had told me some stuff about it that I didn't particularly care to hear. <laughs> and I knew the ending, basically. Um, I knew 
how it was going to end, and I also didn't care for that. But when I sat down to watch it at home on my television with family, I kind of expected, like, okay, this isn't going to be a high work of art, but it's going to, like, it It seems to be scratching the nostalgia nerve for a lot of people with, like, I, like, I was hearing a lot of, like, you're Molina and fucking, you know, fucking what's-his-fuck. Who's <laughs> the other guy? Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Um, they, like, they still got it, man. They fucking know what's up. Like, and I was like, I would love to see those guys, like, go at it again, you know? Like, I'm 100% here for it. Uh, some guy just started mowing lawn right outside my window. <laughs> Hold on. They're trying to silence you. They're, they're trying to silence me. Hold on, I'm going to close my windows. <laughs> I'll be right back. Lawns. Fucking bullshit. Um, you know, I, I was excited to see them back. I'm sure you were a little excited to see them back. Yeah, like, I mean, there was a point where I, I basically had, like, fear of missing out. Just because it's like, look, there's a lot of, like, elements to this that sound really exciting, especially to watch with the crowd. You know, like it. I, I'm sorry. I like superhero stuff. It sucks that it's all there is right now at the forefront of this dead culture. You know what I gotta say though? Didn't feel anything when Alfred Molina showed up in that trailer when I first saw it. And nev- I, I felt a little something. I never felt something. I'm not trying to say I'm someone who's like immune to that. Get this. I know for a fact that Jurassic World Three is gonna suck. And it was kind of nice seeing, you know, all those guys back for the third one, right? Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, you know, I like Sam Neill. Like, that... One of the very first tweets I ever made regarding the first Jurassic World was like, it could be the best movie ever made, but it doesn't have Sam Neill. Mm-hmm. So I, I am right there with you. So I'm not saying I'm, like, immune to FOMO or, like, weird, like, nostalgia twings. Like, I, I definitely, I'm a nerd. I definitely feel those things. Wasn't getting any of that from this movie. I don't know why. I really don't. Like, I feel like I should have been reacting like everyone else, but I just wasn't. Um, so I sat down to watch this movie kind of being like, this is, I'm sure I will at least have some fun moments, even if I don't like the movie. Uh, it starts, and very similar to uh, what happened when I saw Jurassic World, um, the first scene just fucking sucks, and then the scene after that, like, just sucks, and they're like, it's getting progressively worse, and I'm like, okay, well, let me get to this point, and, like, alright, there's weird growing pains in these movies, they gotta do all this weird cleanup from the out, the fallout from the last movie, let me just let them get that out of the way, and then it'll turn around. Let me wait till Doctor Strange shows up. Doctor Strange shows up, and it's fucking boring. <laughs> and the most boring Doctor Strange has been, which is saying something, honestly. Uh, the the whole sequence with the spell—it's just—it's—it's it, it's some of the most frustrating writing I've seen in a recent movie. You know, of just like the lazitude to try and get from like you get like it's that thing of there's nothing less engaging than f- telling that where their target is you know like mm-hmm. they have a target they need to hit that the target they need to hit is bringing all these characters in so anytime that anything happens it's just leading to that and it's boring as fucking shit so i'm like okay well maybe when 
Doctor uh, Doctor Octopus shows up, it'll be fine. And look, God bless Alfred Molina. Like I love Alfred Molina. I it felt like he didn't know where he was the whole time. Like, and I don't mean that in like I know yes he jumped universes whatever, but it's like he's completely forgotten how to play this character. Which I can't really be mad at the guy that was 20 years ago, like, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it did, were you, was I the only one that was like, oh, come on, this, like, eats, man, like, this sucks. <laughs> and I'll, just, I'll get to my, I want you to keep going, I, just, I, I have points that are not far um, off. And it was just, it was so boring, and it was doing every cheap Marvel thing it could possibly do of just being like, I can't believe we're in Doctor Strange's house. Oh my god, this must be a magical artifact. It's like, that's a microwave, idiot. <laughs> and I'm like, just dying inside. And I'm just like, well, get the, get the fucking something good. Like, I can't imagine that that many people saw this movie and responded so strongly without there being something here, you know? Mm-hmm. And then Norman Osborn enters the picture. And that's when I start going, oh, no. Oh, no. Because they, they, I don't, I don't want to be the nerd, but they, they really don't understand his character. No, be the nerd, because that's a point I have. It's, he wasn't a good guy who became evil because he got injected with the fucking Green Goblin go-go juice, like... He was a bad guy before that. Like, he's Walter White. He was looking for an excuse, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he wasn't tortured, and I'm not trying to write him off as, like, an inherently evil person, but the problems he brought to being the Green Goblin were problems he already had, you know? like Yeah, that's the whole thematic linchpin of the first Spider-Man yes! movie. It's like, with great power, great responsibility... Uh- it's something that is pretty inherent to the character. I don't think it's nerdy to point that out. And maybe it is. I don't fucking know. But it, And it wouldn't be a problem if it was slightly off the mark if this film wasn't inherently drawing upon what came before and being like, remember this. It's like... You liked this. You they, know? they took the blackout things where like he doesn't really remember doing the Green Goblin stuff initially. But by the end of the movie, he's totally aware of what he's doing. Like, that's the fucking point of that movie. Like, mm-hmm. is he's almost, like, lying to himself. When he yells at Harry in the hallway and says all that horrible shit about MJ, <laughs> that's not the goblin talking. <laughs> that's him. Remember that scene in the boardroom where he just freaks out? And he's like, you know how much I sacrificed? Mm-hmm. Do you notice how no one in the boardroom reacted like, oh, this is an odd outburst from old Norman over here? <laughs> 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 like... People were afraid of Norman Osborn before he was the Green Goblin. He was he yeah, treated it, his son like shit. Like I'm gonna let you keep going, but that is a fundamental issue I have with this film too. Like it, he's such a horrible person that it it ends up like diluting these greater character arcs and and, and grander themes about like identity and like the decisions you can make as a person, like good or bad, right? Yes. And it just makes it like, well, he just needs to be cured from this serum. Yeah. And it's like, that's not storytelling. And that's, that's not even like what's, fucking... that's not even what was going on with Dr. Octavius, you know? Like, that wasn't, yeah. it wasn't the, it wasn't the chip, like. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, like the chip, the chip is part of it, but it's not like yeah, it's not the linchpin. Like the, 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 the meat like, of Spider-Man Two is in that entire final confrontation with Peter and Otto, where he's like, you he know, he didn't yeah, sometimes need the chip to get fixed to do the right thing. <laughs> he did the right thing on his own volition. That's what makes that ending so powerful. You fucker! I just and. And look, I'm not. I really don't want to be here and be like Norman Osborn is inherently evil. Like it would have been a better movie if Peter had been like, okay, I want to redeem all these villains, so maybe they won't die. Uh, I I can help these guys, and then you meet someone like Norman Osborn who's like kind of rotten to the core, almost, right? I thought that was gonna happen. It would, at a it would have point. been a really good challenge for him, and. You still could have ended it by... Re- I, I honestly believe you still could have redeemed Norman Osborn in a better script. But it would have taken a lot, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It would have taken a lot. And this movie is literally like, eh, inject the fucking this, do that, plug this in. Oh, yeah, now you're good, blah, blah, who? The like, good guy formula. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, look, I think it's fair to say neither of us are particularly fans of The Amazing Spider-Man 2. But even that like version of Electro... It feels false, given the even with the like the inconsequential, inconsistent writing of that film. When he gets cured, and he's like, "Oh man, I'm a nobody again." And it's like, I feel like there needs to be more there, because that dude was like, "Look, I'm not a fan of how that character's written, but by the point we catch up with him in this film, he's pretty far gone, right? Yeah. That is the point of that like story, uh, and it's not a direction I'm fan of, but it it's inconsistent there as well, and I don't particularly." get it other than like it's an easy out for dramatic purposes and like oh see they they got the good guy serum that's it <laughs> that's all this is to people also i gotta just not to, again not to be like a nerd about it but like what is the sandman's deal here i have no idea like he didn't even have a beef with spider-man really like no. like he 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 just wanted to cure his daughter like and then like yeah spider-man tried to kill him and then that kind of leads to like that weird alleyway scene with venom (laughs) (laughs) you know what's fucked up here is that uh there is actually kind of something you could have done with like harry osborn uh green goblin but there's no fucking way they're bringing him back (laughs) (laughs) i can't really be that mad (laughs) about it but um yeah and it was an affront to humanity Of just that, like, it boils these things down, and it, it's dragging them through, like, a fucking septic tank of just, ugh. And it, it, I guess, alright, so, like, the directing in this is really bad. I said, I'm trying to chalk it up to COVID. It feels like no one was ever on the same set together. Like, I think maybe there was a moment where it felt like, uh, Willem Dafoe and Tom Holland were on screen together, and like the there's three... a big moment when he's beating the shit out of him, which is a moment I actually really liked. I gotta be honest, I I tuned out at a certain point in the movie. Okay, so uh, and we're almost to that point. <laughs> um, it it just I don't know. It like hit really bad. Like everything hit really bad. And I'll say this: I was dunking on Melina. Um, I think I'm going to chalk it up the poor direction of that the guys making it clearly didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> um, 
But when he becomes good Doc Ock, he actually gets some energy to him that I kind of liked. That it was like, oh, he kind of like there's all right. It's it's fun to see this other side of Doctor Octopus, you know, mm-hmm. um, of good Doc Ock, and that was nice. It's dumb that it was through the fucking chip, but whatever. Um, oh, and then Aunt May dies. Uh, in what might be the most singularly disgusting thing put into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, they pull a fucking champ on you of just, like, Aunt May get up, sh- like, and I'm, look, like, yeah, that's emotional because it's sad to see that. It's fucking manipulative in the worst way humanly possible. I mean, I don't even, I don't even know how to, like, go in on that and just... And she says, "Well, here I have I have another angle on that, and that it's fucking shockingly poorly directed. Like, well, no, it's all poorly directed. But the writing is disgusting. I think the writing of that sequence is just awful in a way that is deeply upsetting. And the whoever wrote that scene should never be allowed near a fucking typewriter ever again. (laughs) I I think Uh, they use uh, computers now." No, they don't. No. Okay. <laughs> I thought computers were supposed to make scripts better. <laughs> What's all this algorithm people are talking about? How did it miss all these glaring mistakes? They're trying to say there's something wrong with these algorithmically driven movies? Yes. <laughs> um, and at that point, I was like, this is gross. Like, this movie like, it got like really gross. And then I was like, okay, maybe when fucking the other Peter Parkers show up, I'll enjoy it. And then they showed up. And I'll give it this. Andrew Garfield, it seems like he's still having a lot of fun being Spider-Man. You know? Like, he, he seems to be doing all right. Um, Tobey Maguire, I, again, I feel like he doesn't know why he's here. And I'm like, bro, I don't either, but... <laughs> um, and... Are you dead? I just, I like, I, I wanted to give up on, like, the very idea of movies <laughs> when this was over. Like, I stopped watching. I turned the movie off at that point. I watched parts of the final fight later on my phone. And then I watched the final scene where Peter decides the only way uh, to... Uh, protect MJ and Ned is that if he stays out of their lives and I heard some people say like well you know it's like the ending of the original Spider-Man they did in three movies what they did in one and I'm like yeah that's bad that's a bad and also and also not what they did yes <laughs> because none of the directions that like the story takes regarding Peter's own actions are tied to anything that happens with uh, uh, Ned and MJ's safety. Like, I, I know there's, like, the MIT thing, which is, like, well, guess who fucking writes these movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> it, like, in reality, at least it would have made sense if it was, like, oh, the Scorpion guy comes back and he's pissed off because now he knows who Spider-Man is and he tries to attack his loved ones. That would make sense, at least. I wouldn't like the ending still. But, um, it that would at least track on a character level versus, like, 
well, we got into MIT. Uh, and also, Doctor Strange probably could have just written him like a recommendation. I feel like that would go a long way. Um, I feel like a lot of the other Avengers could have stepped up. Yeah, what the fuck, huh? Fuck uh, yeah. the Avengers. Look yeah. at that. What, what, they just left this kid out to fucking dry. I, and that's the other thing is that this movie's about cancel culture. Just like the fucking Joker. That's what this fucking movie's about. And that's all these people know how to write about anymore. The fact that it, I keep seeing it come up in these movies is actually really disturbing to me. Well, I think there's an idea of, like, superhero as celebrity in America right now. That's, yeah, there's like, that, but they don't know how to write about cancel culture. And no one understands that cancel culture is inherently tied to shit like the Me Too movement, you know? Mm-hmm. And it seems like a lot of the backlash to cancel culture is a way to just silence anything that has been gained by the Me Too movement, which is very little at this point. And... We're just a doomed species on a dead planet, Diego. <laughs> just, just a, it's all a fucking joke. It's all a fucking joke. Ugh. Anyway, some things I did like. I'm going to chalk up the positive response this movie had. Uh, this is like, because I can't end it on a cynical note of that people are just stupid and don't understand movies or something. And if you liked it, whatever. But I think just the communal experience of being back in the theater after two years of COVID is what you all really responded to. It had nothing to do with the fucking movie. You could have watched a fucking Gaspar Noe film and you all would have responded the same way. People fucking cheering when the kid electrocutes himself in yes, climax. Yes, exactly. It, it's, it's all that. And I get it. Um, I will say, watching it at home, from what I have heard, this movie doesn't play well at home. That something about being in the theater was what really did. Because also, I watch it, I'm kind of sitting there being like, I feel bad, I feel like I'm going to be the only one in my family who didn't like this. Because they normally really respond well to the Marvel things. Mm-hmm. And they weren't like as like scorch-the-earth negative as I was, but they also were like, I don't know about that one. Which was kind of shocking, because this is kind of like one that people seem to rally around. So I think there is something about watching it at home that deflates it a little bit. Um, Maybe, I've heard that a lot from people. Being yeah. like, yeah, I think I got caught up in the theater experience. And it's like, you know what? That's a pretty good positive takeaway, though. Yeah. You know? It's like, the, the, the magic of the movies exists still. It is not in this film. But it's something people want even when they didn't realize it. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. I wish people could under- could see past the marvel of it all, though. Like, Yes. It's yes. A little it, it is not... That is not, like, a, a perfect note to just leave off on. Like, let's keep interrogating that. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's something nice to take away from the movie. Along with these other positives that I just want to mention briefly. Uh, be, I like the tread, Green Goblin. Tread, tread fucking lightly. I like that when Green Goblin shows up, he's like, I'm going to... I fucking hate this kid. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ruin his life. That's pretty funny. Um, Norman Osborn beating the shit out of him is great, and it's like, hey, this is like physical action that kind of has weight to it. That's the only time in the movie, and I thought the movie was getting actually kind of exciting, and then it didn't. It, it, it no. Um, Norman Osborn saying like strong enough to have it all, too weak to take it. Like, okay, that's that's like where I feel the Green Goblin energy coming back. Um, huh, what else? I, I'm not even joking. Like, I'm trying to think, like, th- things I actually liked in the movie, because I did like... Uh, Tom uh, Holland 
actually like I think he has like real dramatic chops that he gets to showcase for the first time here. And I really want to see him do other stuff um that lets him be good. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. Uh I actually thought the the Doctor Strange Spider-Man fight in the 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 Mirror Universe was really had potential. It had It looks like shit. There's an idea, but it's but like it's that thing of that until very recently the only thing people could think to do with Doctor Strange was like poor man's inception. Yes. But it was like, okay, like I, I thought that was the stuff I was gonna like the least, and it turned out to be the stuff I liked the most. I'll be honest, I, all the stuff I thought I was gonna like the most of the returning Spider Man's, I was like, oh fuck, I this is bad. Like this is bottom of the barrel bad. Mm-hmm. You know? This is desperation. The one thing I've kind of been like letting slide with the the new Spider Man movies is that they're kind of doing the Marvel team up thing, like which was, you know, there was a whole comic line in the seventies that was just Spider Man teams up with someone, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was Spider Man, the... his amazing friend. And yeah, stuff like that too. And I'm like, I'm cool with that. Where it's like, okay, first one's Iron Man, second one's Nick Fury, third one's Doctor Strange. Like, I'm totally fine with that. But like, they don't. The last two times they haven't really done anything with it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially here, Doctor Strange feels almost forgotten in a lot of ways. I mean, they literally just like trap him in a fucking parallel unit. It's so silly. The writing here is incredibly weak. Um weaker than any Marvel film I can think of. Uh is there anyone that's written weaker than this? In terms Shang-Chi. of from Shang-Chi. I I look, I that's been my in my punching bag lately and I feel bad about that. But um Jesus Christ, guys. Shang-Chi had a better first act. Did it? I think Shang-Chi has a fine first act, and then it goes downhill very quickly. Here's the thing. I actually thought I was... Because as much as I hated Far From Home, I was like, look, just fucking commit to something for once. And these first 20 minutes also had potential. They they drop it very quickly. Uh, Oh, Daredevil's in this, by the way. Um, Watch Daredevil Season 3, everyone. It's fantastic. But, like, when the movie starts, and it's, like, becomes, like, a, a quick little, like, fugitive film... I was like, you know, this has energy to it. And then it immediately shifts into that poppy song to kind of make it like a fun experience. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, that's when I knew, like, the movie was gone. I know that sounds petty, Mm -hmm. but that's when I kind of got the feeling that the movie wasn't going to, like, live up to anything I I wanted, like, to to enjoy from it at least. Because it won't let even, like, the, the smaller dramatic moments like that sit. You know, like, I guess you could argue the Aunt May death stuff, but it's, like, so repulsive and depressing and not in like a an engaging way or for the reasons they want it to be that it doesn't really matter so um yeah it's bad uh shout out to uh, jamie fox for being like i'll come back but i need to be cool as fuck this time that is kind of funny i respect that at first i was like just fucking play the same character now i'm like nah this doesn't deserve that but yeah And he kind of ends up being like a good like focal point of the movie a little bit. He is having fun. I mean, but the, the 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 lucky thing with all the Amazing Spider-Man stuff that they bring over is that they really could just ignore those movies and write whatever mm-hmm. they wanted, you know? Yeah, like, it's like you know, like, and it's so weird because for the MCU, this franchise, like, they tend to ignore stuff that people don't respond with standing ovations to, like, mm-hmm. and so that the fact that they even incorporated the Amazing Spider-Man movies, I, I almost respect that. The and Lizard it, was back. Yeah, which is like hysterical because everyone's guy... like, "Yeah, that's that's like a bad villain." Like unanimously when that movie came out, that guy who like punched people at Comic Con. 
Wait, what? Didn't the guy who played the lizard like attack someone at Comic Con the one year? Rice Fonz? Yeah, didn't that happen? Oh, I don't know. I thought oh we God. talked about it on the fucking episode we did. I don't remember that. Holy shit. That's so funny. Um, don't attack people. That's not funny. Was arrested for misdemeanor battery by San Diego police uh, after allegedly pushing a guard prior to speaking on a guest panel. Uh, well, they just reused footage for him and Sandman. And... Yeah. I don't know. It's, Thomas it's Hayden bad. Church is back. Remember him? Spider-Man, it's me, Flint Marco. It's like, no, it's, I thought you were the other Sand guy. Also, that's another thing that, like, the, the MCU has just failed entirely. Is just that, like... No one goes by their villain names in the MCU. You know? It, it's superhero as celebrity. That's what these movies are now. Yeah, and it's it's, it's trash. Yeah. No, it is. It, they have no trash sense of character. Trash for the or trash your fire. The characters have no sense of beliefs or like a morality system. I don't actually know what these people stand for I don't in what, anything. I don't know anything anymore. Yeah, but why didn't the Avengers fucking come out and just be like, hey, we stand by this kid. He fucking saved the planet. He saved the universe, actually. He's a good kid. All they had to, all they had to do was, like, stand next to him at, like, a press junket. Yeah, fucking, they, they Photoshop everyone else. Uh, Photoshop. They fucking CG everyone else into, no, like, these individual shots. No, they Photoshop everyone. Yeah, no, uh... Or they get them in singles, yeah, this, this, and they'll they'll have them looking in similar directions, and they'll try to match the eye lines poorly. Oh, it looks like, wow. so bad! It was so bad. Like, I couldn't get over how awful the movie kind of looked. Like, yeah. So, like, that didn't help things. Yeah, and like, go back to the Far From Home episode. I thought the action was really good, considering mm-hmm. <laughs> whoever was responsible for it. And here it is. It's the worst part. It, it all looks like dog shit. Yeah. Um, we can keep hammering this dead horse even further into the ground, but maybe we should move on to something positive because we've been very negative today. Yeah. Um, uh... It deserves it. it. It definitely deserves it here at least. But um, what, what else? Do you have anything else or can we move on? Or should I shoot myself on, on audio right Whoa. now? Whoa, hey. <laughs> um... Bad movie. Don't watch it. Yeah. Uh, you know what? This movie doesn't endorse drone warfare. So, although they they fucking they passed the bill to Happy Hogan. Like, what the fuck did that guy do? Like, oh yeah, we saved Spider Man from his legal troubles, but uh, now Happy Hogan has to go to court I for do, having I, a secret army of drones. I do find that kind of funny. John Favreau. Favreau sells Happy that Hogan stuff. Is great. Honestly. Um, yeah. Favreau's a fine actor. I want Ned Leeds and Happy Hogan to have a buddy road trip movie throughout the MCU. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's just like Ned, like they just like Ned is basically sidelined for most of the movie. Like, no, no, totally, totally. But all characters are sidelined, and I still like him and uh, Jacob Batalon's performance enough that it's like I do like that character. And I'm not joking when I think it's like the most consistent character in the MCU. Yeah, like he is so much fun. And it's like, oh, now he can just do magic. Like, that's hilarious to me. That's genuinely funny. I, I think he can just do whatever these movies need him to. And he's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, 
Okay, I'm there, sorry. I get there it. There was you know. one moment where I felt genuine humanity and joy while watching the movie. Um, and that was uh, when Flash Thompson showed up with his new book, Flashpoint. My life is Peter Parker's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the one moment I enjoyed in this movie. Um, I liked how he was also green screened into uh, various locations. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's probably it's, it's probably bad. COVID. It's probably oh, no, COVID. It is, but but it's yeah. It, you would think that the most the largest franchise on earth would be better at this kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at least some people would be like, "Hey, work with your limitations a little bit," you know. But they didn't do that. No, no, they did not. Um. Speaking of limitations, God, how, do you want to talk why, about Eternals? Why is like the 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 Wikipedia page for Spider-Man? Ah, whatever. It's I I hate movies. I hate everything. Um, oh yeah, I like the turtles, so that probably undercuts everything I just said to a certain segment of people. Yeah, why? Why did you like Eternals? Because it was a good movie, and people are fucking dumb. I mean, yes, but that's my that's you know. my take. That's my take. Okay. All right, now, all right. Um, what did you think of Eternals, Diego? Why don't you talk for a fucking minute so I can I... try to remember what joy feels like. I think Eternals is more fascinating than it is successful. But I think the filmmaking from Chloe Zhao gets in enough that it is a genuinely reward. It was a rewarding experience to watch for the first time and the second time. I own this movie on Blu-ray now. Mm-hmm. I own the Steelbook. That's how much <laughs> I like this movie. I didn't expect to do that for any Marvel movie ever, frankly. After I spent about a year trying to convince you to go see it. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, no, not a year. It was like, it was a couple months, though. It, it felt like a year, but that, that time is meaningless. So... Yes. Um, I thought it's a great film about robots that try to understand what it means to be human. It might be the best Justice League movie. Apologies to Zack Snyder's otherwise excellent Snyder Cut. Um, I was really moved by a lot of the imagery and not just cause it's like that magic hour bullshit, mm-hmm. but like there's a sense of scale to a lot of this too. Like when they, they go face to face with the, the celestials, it's like the celestials are so big. You never see their full body. Like they overtake the screen. And I was like, Oh shit, this would have been amazing to watch an IMAX. It was my bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I've never felt a sense of scale from these movies. Like maybe the first Avengers movie. That has some pretty good IMAX stuff in there. Um, Ant-Man tries, tries it. it, And I like that movie, but I I wouldn't say the sense of scale is very good, apart from, like, the micro-photography. And I I don't know. I just thought it was such an interesting, well-done movie, you know? It's not, like, a five-star experience or anything, but Mm -hmm. it was a whole package with ten minutes extra that could have just been a post-credit scene that I didn't really need in there yeah the post credit scene is pretty bad but um, uh but it it was a really good movie yeah on the marvel curve it might as well be fucking like citizen kane like i said i think when i saw it i think i had to think really hard and it's probably the best marvel movie i've seen in a long time um very long time 
and it, it definitely cracks my top five of the MCU. Now, I think there's a few reasons for that. One, you know, like we could talk about Chloe Zhao all day long. She's a good director. People are weird about her on film Twitter, but she's a good director. Um, one, this is one of the first superhero movies I've seen in a long time that didn't feel ashamed to be a superhero film. <laughs> and you can do that in a lot of ways. Um, a lot, like, to me, the two sides of that coin are there are superhero movies right now that take themselves way too seriously, and then there's the common MCU thing of, like, we're going to point out how silly this is so we don't look embarrassing to the audience, right? Mm-hmm. There's very little of that here, which I appreciated. Um, it wore its heart on its sleeve a lot and was and allowed itself to be like big, dumb, and emotional in a lot of ways, which is why I come to superhero films, frankly. Um, also, I was going to say, like, stuff like characters like the Eternals, the stuff I like in the MCU is more the cosmic stuff. So, like, this is definitely like a more personal thing. But this movie really gets deep to the whole Jack Kirby ancient aliens thing that actually influenced a lot of the Marvel comics, you know? Like, we we don't value enough how weird... Uh, how so many weird ideas Jack Kirby had influenced the Marvel comics, which now influence all of culture, right? Mm-hmm. They, they seem to ignore a lot of that in the movies, and it was good to see a lot of that here. Now, there's a whole stigma to ancient alien stuff. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Of uh, just, like, not believing indigenous cultures could make their civilization. That's a whole other can of worms. It was just interesting to see a movie acknowledge that for once. Um, yeah, and it was a movie about, like, romance and stuff, and not in a way that, like, oh, does do they get the girl or not, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I responded super strongly to this movie. Well, it's, a, it's a movie that's, like, genuinely trying to parse out, like, what it means to care about things like not just people but like the world at large and like existence as a whole Mm -hmm. and it's like it's in this fucking marvel movie like what the fuck (laughs) um it also has like a genuine sex scene like it's not like the greatest sex scene ever Mm -hmm. but it does feel like like thank god someone's like doing it (laughs) at least yeah in more ways than one (laughs) (laughs) we're all going out of i don't know um (laughs) And I, I kind of like that it was awkward because it's like these people don't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like they were driven to that point because of their connection with each other. And I was like, oh, okay, this is great. And then there's like some thorny subject matter with a character like Sprite, who's a child. Which but, I am but, just shocked that didn't become a bigger story considering like what the discourse is these days. Yeah. Like that feels like something that would people would be like going ape shit about. Because it because ha- it, it happens, man. Like mm. that that is a a weird thing to see these movies try and handle. <laughs> yeah, and I think it handles it pretty well. It's like yeah. it handles it like a tragedy, you yeah. know. In that weird, like operatic, like just ridiculous fairy tale way, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's much closer to a fairy tale. Like I said, it's not trying to hide what like that was the thing of like when people when this was coming out, people were dunking on it. I can't really be that mad because it's like okay. I'm sick of Marvel as much as anyone else, right? Mm-hmm. But everyone was just joking, you know, everyone did the jokes about Kingo and shit like that. And the primary joke being that Kingo's a goofy name or whatever. And 
I'm like, the goofy names aren't the problem here. Like, <laughs> that's what I want these movies to embrace more of. And it was, it was, it was a little disheartening to see what people were like dunking on with these movies. I'm like, no, we should, we should embrace the stupidity of it. Yeah. And, uh, but. Again, not like a perfect movie. It's definitely flawed. I also feel like it's one of those ones where you can feel the studio notes in it, mm-hmm. and the studio notes actually hurt the movie, in my opinion. Um, like, there's the opening where the Eternals first arrive on Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 5000 BC or whatever. And there's a text crawl before that that tries to explain what the hell Eternals and Deviants are and shit like that. And that just throws a lot of, like, terminology at the audience that I think just, like, confuses people. And it would have worked a lot better to just open the movie without any of that and just had them, like, arrive, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, people can put that shit together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, there's definitely moments where it drags. I think the whole, I think the deviant thing kind of runs its course by the end a little bit. Um, when we realize the true villains were ourselves the whole time (laughs) like Mm -hmm. uh that's when the movie kind of becomes more interesting but uh yeah i don't know how to explain i was just i was just impressed that it was a movie that it it knew the right level to hit which i feel like superhero movies just don't know what to do anymore where most of them are just this slurry of nonsense and here it like knew like Let's have fun with the nonsense. And not in a, like, you know, like, there seems to be, every few years it seems to be like, you won't believe it, this superhero film is funny. <laughs> like, remember how that article seemed to come up, like, every year? Yeah. And it's like, we, but this has been day one with the Marvel stuff. Like, I'm not talking about, like, the self-referential thing. They, I think they wisely decided to just make Kumail the comic relief, you know? I thought he was going to be like the standout in a bad way yeah. for this film. And I really liked him and that character in mm-hmm. this movie a lot. And I liked his driver a lot too. Oh my god, his driver should his driver should be the driver for Happy Hogan and Ned Leeds Road Trip movie. Yeah, there you go. Let's put those three together. Do one of those like yeah. one shot things they always do. Well they don't do them anymore. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, and like I said, I think I said, I, I pitched it to Diego, and this is, like, going to infuriate some people listening, but, like, I, I think it is uh, a less ambitious Snyderverse film. It's less ambitious, but more confidently told. That was my whole take on it. So, if you if you want a movie like that, I think Eternals is worth watching. And Chloe Zhao, uh, I believe she praised Man of Steel. Yeah. You could, like, a... That was your thing, just watching it the first time, like, you could just tell that Chloe Zhao loves those movies. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much in here. I mean, it's, she is, with Icarus, she is doing a Superman riff, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's a little more freeing than you could even do with Superman, because it's not Superman, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know. I responded just, I just responded super strongly to it. Um, and I will say, I, I Spider-Man No Way Home definitely deflated some of that for me because I kind of felt like I'd never love anything ever again after watching No Way Home. Um, but then I watched another movie. 
Do you want to jump to that already? And that movie go back was and Come and See. No. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, Come and See reminded me of the qualities of humanity more than Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, no. Everyone go see Come and See. No. <laughs> I mean, dude, it's, the, it's probably the greatest film ever made. Just uh, be in the right headspace for it. It's fucking heavy. Yeah. And... That that could fuck up like a week easy. Yeah, <laughs> of your brain. No, yeah, you go in to come and see, and then a different person comes out of that movie. Yep, it's just it's one of those movies that does that. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> it might be the movie that does that. <laughs> frankly, before we continue, Diego, mm-hmm. got a question for you. Yes. Why do you like superheroes? You know, that's actually a very good question. I like when superheroes reveal something greater. Like in, in People call them like the modern myth. I think they have the potential to reveal a certain truth about the world we live in and problems that we need to solve. From there, I like to, to get to know the characters that react to those problems. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I like characters like Batman and Spider-Man. They're reacting to uh, issues on a on a relatable ground level reality. Or at least something that feels more tangible than, say, a wizard who can conjure up portals uh, by flicking his hands around. Uh-huh. And then I like the cool superpower shit because I'm a fucking loser. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you are. Um, okay. Because, <laughs> uh, okay. like, all right, so, like, let, let's think about the appeal of superheroes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have superheroes like Superman, which is sort of a wish-fulfillment kind of fantasy, you know? Mm-hmm. Of a young, a young child wish-fulfillment of, like, what if you had all the power in the world and no one could stop you, Right. Right. And I I think it speaks to a certain childlike innocence that maybe we have that we just immediately assume that power would be used for good. Um, I think as you get older, an appeal of a character like Superman is... I think there's an inherent desire in a lot of us that we want to believe that someone that good that's also looking out for us could exist. Um, when you get a character like Spider-Man or Batman... Um, I think that's why these. I think this is why these two are mainly popular. Is that they definitely kind of we we can feel a lot of the conflicts they feel in our own lives, even if we aren't exactly going through that. I think superheroes can allow us to explore a certain like psychodrama by making it really physical and into something very specific. You know, mm-hmm. like I've never. I'm not juggle. We're we're all juggling our private lives with our personal lives with our work life with our social life you know we're all trying to juggle these things all the time right you need time for yourself time to support yourself and time to hang out with people you love right right now i've never been in a position where i have to fight a guy with robotic arms while also keeping my pizza job (laughs) but i definitely felt like that at times (laughs) And I'm sure you have too, right? Like, I'm sure you have felt overwhelmed and stressed. Oh, and, me never. Yeah. And how could I possibly 
keep certain things going. And there's a certain, like, no one understands I the, the face I put on in life is just a mask, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the version you see of me is not the real me. And we're trying to reconcile those two sides of ourselves and how much can we truly know each other. And those are deeper ideas and superheroes can kind of allow us to explore those ideas in a way that isn't that threatening, you know? Uh, yeah. That you could even miss the point and still be entertained. <laughs> As it's clear by the people who wrote uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, that you can miss the point and still be entertained. Um, <laughs> but... I ask this, and then, but what... Why have they become such a thing right now? What is it? Hmm. From Cause the, what a, a I general have... public standpoint, I actually think that I think like the thing you mentioned about wanting someone to look out for you. Mm-hmm. I think we all kind of want that in the world right now. Yeah, but I, let me realizing is that that's not going to happen. Well, yeah. Let, let me say this. I think the two things I just described are two things that very much aren't present in modern superhero films. That either they're completely absent in the case of a lot of the Marvel films or the Snyder films, which kind of interrogate a lot of those ideas, right? Mm-hmm. So what is the appeal now? And my cynical answer is that those movies are all very reassuring about the values we hold as a culture right now. That it's not our values that are a problem, it's who's in control, right? Mm-hmm. I think that might be the whole myth of the Obama era, which is where these movies kind of birthed out of. That, like, oh, technological progress is good in the hands of someone like Tony Stark, right? <laughs> like, oh, but he's a good guy. Yes, he makes mistakes, but he's a good guy. The greatest generation actually was the greatest generation. <laughs> and Captain America's here. And he's going to show us the right way with his past ideas. Correct? Mm-hmm. I think that's a wall we're hitting currently, but the movies are still going, which is kind of interesting. I'm bringing that up because two things I did not expect from... Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was one a a revitalization of that like internal psychodrama stuff that is made very literal in the film and two a movie that is very much about misplaced sense of ideals and should anyone be in a position to be as powerful as they are and make decisions that they make (laughs) Which was not something I expected to get out of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So you liked it? Yeah, I liked it a lot. <laughs> and it's actually something that kind of fucked up me talking about Eternals because I kind of came out of Doctor Strange liking it more than Eternals. And I kind of did too. I wasn't expecting... I, I, I'm now like in this weird funk where it's like I didn't expect the one-two punch of this to happen. Of like, there's two good Marvel movies all of a sudden... And in, in the middle of it, there's the worst Marvel movie ever made. 
Uh, I wasn't expecting that. Well, I think a big part of that is Sam Raimi. I do. I I, I would say so too. I don't want to give him like full like. I don't want to just because it feels very easy to be like it's Sam Raimi, but it kind of no no no. We uh, uh, credit to to Michael Waldron who wrote the script, which is a a problem people have with this movie is the writing and the uh-huh. screenplay, and I don't. I think I've been harsh on that too, and I think it works enough for Raimi's interests that both Raimi and Waldron. They complement each other enough to make it all hmm. really functional. Michael Waldron is apparently attached to write the untitled Kevin Feige Star Wars film. And is apparently working on a treatment or a draft right now. Alright. Well, we will see, because all of these people work on treatments and drafts at Star Wars now. Yeah. Star Wars is going to be in a weird few years, but anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually think it's one of the better Marvel scripts, if I'm being honest. Oh, yeah? Yeah, not, like, great. Like, it's not it's not Iron Man 3 or anything. But uh, I thought it got the job done in the ways it needed to. I guess I was just worried it was going to be the multiverse, look at all the stuff on Disney Plus movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought that's what the movie was going to be. And it really wasn't that. It, it honestly felt like a very self-contained story, which was the last thing I really expected. And the last thing apparently people wanted because people were like, there's only like three universes in this movie. And it's oh, like, yeah, that's you fucking idiots. I know. Why is that the complaint? Like Because, oh, I've also seen some complaints about the Raimi. And uh, shout out to legendary film editor Bob Morosky. Mm-hmm. Uh, who worked on this movie. <laughs> um, and, like, their transitions and their shot choices and are their, you s- their match cuts. Really? <laughs> That's what people are complaining about? Yeah, they're like, it's too, it's too much of a Sam Raimi movie. There's a lot of that. I can't believe that's actually happening. Yeah, well, I mean, it is it is kind of like the, the YouTube filmers, people okay. that are kind of starting that. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. I'm going to bully you mm-hmm. until you do something bad to yourself. Yeah. That might be too mean to say. Um, I might cut that one. All right. <laughs> um, I will say the moment in the middle, I guess, what? All right, how many universes? All right, I guess we start in one, go to the MCU, and then we jump to another. So I guess the third, all right, let's call the third universe the Pizza Papa universe. Yes, of course. Uh, that's the most important thing about that universe. The Pizza Papa universe does have the stuff in it that, like, if you're even willing to let this movie slide on some stuff, it'll kill the movie right there for you. Because that movie kind of ends up being a parade of, like, fan wank, you know? Like, uh, that's where we get fucking Krasinski, Fantastic Four, like, and uh, fucking Professor X is back. With the 90s theme song. Oh, yeah. You know what? I didn't even notice. Like... Which I think might be a compliment to the movie that I was kind of, like, focused on other things. Uh, his head caved in. That was Black Bolt. Yeah, Black Bolt's head caved in. Yeah. Well, we could talk about that. Um, yeah. I, but to the music thing, I also want to mention that Danny Elfman's music for this is him. Oh, yeah, that was another thing routine. where I definitely was watching it being like, oh, the music is actually pretty good here. What the fuck is that about? And then I saw the incredible, like, oh, they brought Elfman back. Yeah. And to his credit, 
because um, he also did the music for Age of Ultron, which mm. I think is is an okay, like half and half on that. You know what? If I had movie. to say anything positive about that movie, it would be the score. Okay. Um, he Elfman has gone on record saying like, "Well, I would reuse. I always want to reuse the original themes for these types of characters because like." He thinks like, hey, no, that's the theme. You you reuse my Batman theme, I'll reuse the Superman theme, like that kind of thing. Mm. I don't always agree with that, but I think it worked here because he also reincorporated uh, Michael Giacchino's score for the original Doctor Strange into mm. this too. So it's like I I thought this was a nice blend of, I guess the, I hate myself for saying this, the multiverse shit. Yeah. Like like audio. I actually I actually kind of like that idea. If I honestly if I was put in charge of a superhero film, I'd probably do the same thing. Of just bringing all the music motifs, you know? Yeah, like, this is the, the movie think, to do it for, at least. I think what Danny Elfman is saying is, you should reuse uh, the original themes for these characters going forward. Because I did, like, half of them. Yeah, and I will get royalties. <laughs> it's kind of like how he, uh... Because he's technically credited with the Simpsons theme, right? Oh my like, god, that's right. He's technically credited with the Simpsons theme. And the moment he started getting paychecks on that, when he heard there was a Batman animated series in the works, he's like, I have to do the theme. So, like, he did the Batman theme for that show, but nothing else. The rest of that music is other people. Mm-hmm. Just so he can kind of get the royalties. <laughs> well, you know, that's why a lot of um, big-name directors also do pilots for television shows. Mm-hmm. You get a pilot gig, you also can stay on as executive producer, and then those paychecks roll in every month. There you go. Every that's, episode. That's not a bad that's idea. That's why James Wan did the the pilot to the new MacGyver series, by the okay. way. Okay, okay. That makes sense. And that, that's not a criticism. I would also do that. Yeah. I think what I think what Danny Elfman should have just said is that he should have come on and said, I like money, <laughs> and then walked away. And then um, do a sick guitar riff. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually do, like, I don't know, maybe, you know what, I'm just not as familiar with the 90s X-Men cartoon. Like, I've seen, like, handfuls of it, but not, like, the whole thing. I've never been crazy about it. And I know, it's yeah. Like a, yeah. They're bringing it back, though, right? Like. Yeah, and that's part of me that was like, oh, that's why they brought in this Professor X, because it's supposed to be that one, with a chair and everything, he's got the green suit, and all that bullshit. You know, uh... In a worse director's hand, you know what that scene would have devolved into? Go watch the 90s X-Men costume no, no. on Disney+. Plus. It would have been, like, suddenly out of nowhere, I'm the juggernaut, bitch! Oh. It would have been that scene again. Brett Ratner's Doctor Strange? No! <laughs> um... In prison? <laughs> Brett Ratner in the prison's Escape of Madness. I don't know. <laughs> the prison verse. it's the universe where all the hollywood executives are in prison yeah abolish prisons but before we do make sure you put the right people in them put a bunch of those guys in for like a month just just so they can know what it feels like yeah and then abolish the prisons with them inside the prison oh yeah (laughs) we're abolishing we're abolishing prisons and by that we're going to toss all the prisons into the ocean (laughs) hashtag harvey weinstein (laughs) Um, so what, what did you, you were uh, saying you think this scene or this section of the film stops the movie dead? Cause I've heard that a lot. No, I, people who... I'm saying I could see other people thinking the movie kind of stops dead there. I thought they threaded it pretty well. I um, thought so too. And it might be one of my favorite parts of the movie. Now. Yeah. I really liked it. I think 
the stuff I really liked was uh, I liked a lot of the Scarlet Witch stuff in this movie. I did uh, too. I thought um, she was fantastic, and I really liked that she's just basically the villain. I also, you know what? It's it's one of those things where like you don't realize how much you miss something until you get it. It's nice to see people just call her the Scarlet Witch all the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. as opposed to everyone calling her Wanda. You know. Yeah. I think more people say Scarlet Witch in this movie than in the rest of the MCU combined. Yeah, and the only person to call her Wanda is Doctor Strange, and that's because... Actually, yeah. no, they don't have a prior relationship. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a sh- I, I assume they have some sort of relationship that, like, happened off camera. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. But that's in all these Marvel movies now. So if that's your problem with this one, take it up with the fucking whole franchise. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know, it's, it's, a lot of this too is just Sam Raimi, like, kind of doing a victory lap on his career. I mean, he, there's just, there's so much in this that is just callbacks to other Sam Raimi movies, you know? I mean, it's, it is, like, Doctor Strange, uh, versus Evil Dead, kind yeah. of, at times. a little bit. I mean, he brought Bruce Campbell back just to have him punch himself in the face. Yeah. Like, it's over? It's over! <laughs> greatest post-credit scene since Swarma. Not sure. that I even give a shit about the post-credits scene, sure. but this is the one I like. I just liked Pizza Papa. <laughs> yeah, Pizza Papa always gets paid. Pizza Papa always gets paid. Oh, and I also love the, that quick note about how the only two universes in the multiverse that make people pay for basic, like, oh, yeah. shit, like food and water. <laughs> it's, it's actually very rare. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I I really like that. That was, was like, a moment oh, where I'm like I'm like Comrade Raimi, like, yeah. <laughs> which I I haven't gotten that impression from any of his other films, but no, no. But he he does have uh, a lot in a lot of his work, like an angle about like working class. But it, but it's it's a more like Midwestern version of that, you know? Yes, yeah, like, it, it is, it is. But like. Who's even doing working class stories on this I know. scale? But I'm just, all I'm saying is, like, it would have been a refreshing to see something working class related in this movie. But no, it, yes. it went full commie. <laughs> it was like, people shouldn't have to pay for food. <laughs> and it's like, it's actually weird that you guys pay for food. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, I just did not expect that from Sam Raimi, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. Unfortunately, Pizza Pop always gets paid. <laughs> yeah. Pizza Papa should be in Doctor Strange three as the villain. Yes, I, I, when I, you know what, when I, when this was the Multiverse of Madness, I thought there was going to be a moment when like everything kind of exploded and we were jumping to a bunch of different universes, which I, I'm honestly glad didn't happen, but I just assumed it would because that's the Marvel thing. Um, I thought we would get to the Pizza Papa universe, <laughs> the universe ruled by Pizza Papa. That would be amazing. Well, there's that one sequence where they're. Um, uh, Doctor Strange and America Chavez are like falling through the multiverse and you see like glimpses of these other realities and they all look really visually interesting and yeah. compelling and genuinely different. Yes. And that's kind of all I needed from this. Exactly. I don't know what the fuck everyone else's problem is. And I think I said this on the other podcast we did but it was kind of hysterical that Sam Raimi was the first guy to like you know those moments where like we just show a bunch of shit that's like crazy really quick? What if we slowed the camera down a little bit <laughs> for that scene? Because <laughs> it's like nice slow motion. Because they've done that a few times. They did that in Doctor Strange 1, remember? Mm-hmm. When he's like flying through the different universes, but it's like super fast and you don't really get a moment to like enjoy anything. 
And maybe that's because the director of that movie, their visuals aren't that creative, so if they did slow it down, you would just notice how they all looked exactly the same. <laughs> but hey. <laughs> uh, you, you made me think of something else, too, and that's Sam Raimi kind of getting to go ham for a Marvel movie on the yes. Marvel curve. This movie goes kind of hard. Um, and it kind of makes all the other movies look worse in comparison. It does. Even the ones I really like. It really does. And it's like, okay, how much of this was just the franchise production bullshit that's sucking the life out of everything? Or how much does this reveal about directors who I enjoy not actually being that interested in these movies, at the very least? That is the question. Is it, like, because of the weird, like, they fired the director and then brought Sam Raimi in, was there, like, did they give Sam Raimi, like, a wide berth that, like, they wouldn't have given him otherwise? Like He I'll... has been very open about not being, like, hands-on with the script process, story mm. process of this. Yeah. He said his goal was to do what he does best visually and, and directing-wise with actors and the set pieces and tell the story of this uh, on the from the script as best as possible but you can still feel his fingerprints all over the story like like i said i think people kind of are drawing the line at being like ah there's some raimi visuals but that's about it but the sensibility of this movie is entirely raimi i mean the ending is pure raimi yeah i mean no no it's definitely there and that's where i'm struggling in in a good way like trying to parse out like okay how much of that is michael waldron Mm -hmm. uh who also was the head writer on Loki's first season, which is apparently most people like. Yeah. Uh, I have to check out. I just didn't finish it because I was... I I will check it out now more than ever Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I'm curious. But then how much of that is just Raimi prying emotion out of this film's cold, dead hands? Yeah. You know? Because, like, there's stuff, like, I don't care about Scarlet Witch and Doctor Strange. I like those actors. I don't feel an emotional connection with them. I thought I might for WandaVision, and I got close. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I tapped out. But the one division like, drops the ball at the end, like it drops the ball like immediately, frankly, in the first like four episodes. Yeah, I w- it's probably a little earlier than that, but yeah. it was almost there at the beginning. <laughs> it, it's a it's a fucking fascinating premise for a television program, but I've I've gone on about that already. And if this movie undoes that premise, which some people have complained about, I'm totally fine with that, frankly, because the show didn't do it either. So yeah. well, I, I want I got another point about that too. Um. I just think that Raimi and Waldron's capabilities as, like, storytellers, like, whatever they are, they worked here for me. And I felt, like, an emotional connection to Doctor Strange, even though it's only, like, in in bursts and fits about him starting to realize that, like, he doesn't actually know, like, uh, what is happening. Mm. Like, like, what the best choice is anymore. All he knows is, like, what he can do. Well, he's also living with the weight, which is something I was surprised to see, is that he's living with the weight of the fact that he is basically the guy who... He makes the decision to let Thanos kill half the universe. Like, that's all on him. Mm -hmm. Like, when he... When it gets to that certain point, and he's like, there's only one way this is going to work out, he's making that decision then. And, uh... Should he really be the guy to make that decision? And he kind of enjoys being that guy, you know? Like, he likes mm-hmm. having... They talk about, like, how he likes being the one holding the knife. And he kind of has to interrogate himself about that, which I just wasn't expecting from this movie. Um, yeah, it... it, 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 it my, my first takeaway, and I... I 
want to actually rewatch this, but I promise if I watch it again in the theater, I will also pay for the nearest independent film that's releasing near me. <clears throat> yeah. Because that's just where I'm at right now. Um, but, like, my big takeaway was that, like, this is, like, fucking fun. Mm. Like, the, I, I got attached to the emotional stuff, and it, like, hit for me when it did, when it came up. But, like, it's genuinely a fucking theme park ride. Mm-hmm. Like it in a is, good I mean, way, yeah, in a great way. You know, I think I said the other time, like you know, these movies aren't really theme park rides; they're more like billboards, mm-hmm. you know, like the worst ones. This is how you do a theme park ride. This is like spectacle in a way that that I, I actually felt like I got not just my money's worth, but like I it made me excited about the movies again. You know, a little bit, yeah. I was, like, cackling in my seat during the back half of this. And that was that thing of, like, as much as I liked it, like, the crushing thing that happens now for me at the end of all these Marvel films is it's like, yeah, but where does Raimi go after this? Like, I'm not super interested in Doctor Strange returning. I don't know. I don't really care what's next for the Marvel Universe, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I think you and I are, are, are basically done with these. Mm-hmm. I've said this is the last movie I'm watching uh, in a theater for these guys. Mm-hmm. What like, I'm saying I'm is, sorry. like, like Charlie Theron shows up at the end and is like, Doctor Strange, come with me, and then leaves, right? Yeah. Like, I have no interest in that, but I want to see where Raimi goes next, and it's just, I want to see where Chloe Zhao goes next. And there is no next for them now, you know? Like, they, there is no... Other, other, the only place they can go is other franchises that are basically Marvel films, you know? And I don't know, actually. Like, where, where, like, because one thing that I took away from this is that Raimi had clearly could have done like an epic fantasy film at some point, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, the battle against Scarlet Witch is like a genuine, like, fantasy battle scene. And, you know, he's done that before. He did that in. Um, Army of Darkness, obviously, but that's like a Harryhausen homage. Yeah, Sorry, and, Orson. And to be clear, he has and, remade Army of Darkness like three times now. Yeah, <laughs> and and he also, you know, he did Oz the Great and Powerful, which has a lot of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, he could have done a Lord of the Rings scale movie, is what I took away from that scene, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he could have done a Pirates film or something like that. Oh my god, and, don't... I'm not necessarily saying, like, that franchise. I'm just saying something like it, you know? I know, but now I thought about it, and I'm, like, oh. imagining that alternate universe mm. where they got good directors to keep working on mm. those. Sorry, that's not the point you're making. Mm. I apologize. Yeah, what I'm saying is, like, what... Like, if let's say Sam Raimi right now is, like, sitting on some dream project or something, or it's like, hey, there's something I've always wanted to do, but, like, I don't have the resources to do it. And I think he has said, like... We talked about this, that, like, he took... Like, Hollywood didn't leave him. He took a break from Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's what he's been saying in a lot of interviews, and this has rejuvenated him. But, like, where does he take this stuff, you know? And that's depressing to me, is that I... Like, this... I think the thing I, I ultimately respond to with both Eternals and Doctor Strange is they don't necessarily feel in conversation with the Marvel Universe, but they feel in conversation with Raimi's filmography and Chloe Zhao's filmography, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what makes those movies interesting to me. And Eternals is, like, doubly weird because it's technically her follow-up to The Rider, correct? And then it got, like... Nomadland. But, no, but she made Nomadland after. Oh, it got fuck, right. She got delayed, like... And then COVID, like, double double-fuck things up, like... Mm-hmm. So it's this weird, like, missing link between those two movies that's kind of fascinating. And 
but they where did like where do they go from here? And I can you know we could sit here all day and be like Sam Raimi should go to this franchise instead, and like there's that, but what is Sam Raimi sitting on another Army of Darkness or is Chloe Zhao? Does she have some? Is there a book series that she loves that maybe isn't like that popular, but she could do something with, you know, mm-hmm. like what is what we're, and there's no place for that now. And that's ultimately what was depressing about, even when these two movies were kind of like, okay, these movies aren't damned to failure. You know, it would be so easy to sit here and be like the MCU by design doesn't work. Right. That, like, you could put fucking Orson Welles, give him a Marvel movie, and he would still fuck it up, right? And it's like, no, it, like, these movies aren't damned to the fucking poor quality that they're filled with. They can be good. It's just sad that, like, everything in Hollywood is against those qualities these days. And, ugh. You know, like I said, it's like I'm giving a positive remo- review to both those movies and like ultimately a bummer like review to culture. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if anything we've learned today is that culture is fucking a zombie right now. Yeah. Now, hopefully, like the, the hope is that Sam Raimi inhabits the body, the corpse <laughs> and springs it back to life and makes something worthwhile again. But no, 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 I, that, that's a joke. But like, I, I'm not quite there yet in terms of like not seeing a future for Raimi and Zhao like we, we genuinely don't know what they're doing next at the time of this recording but I don't I feel like Raimi is at least a big enough producer also in Hollywood but what I, but I, to I also just, produce something of his own but I'm saying you know? it used to be if you did a big movie and it went well you could get a bigger movie after that right Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure Chloe Zhao and Sam Raimi will be fine, but I don't want them to just immediately go back to doing five to $10 million budget movies, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I want them to, at the fucking bare minimum, get $50 million for the next movie. And they can do whatever the fuck they want with it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like The Northman, like, I, I, I like that Robert Eggers actually got a fucking budget for that movie. And I'm glad... To, that we get to see that guy with some actual fucking money for once. And who gives a shit if it actually makes it back? Like, we shouldn't really care about that. We should just be happy the movie gets made. I'm, like, both these directors deserve that next. And that won't happen, I don't think. Because that the MCU doesn't work in that way. Well, I think only time will tell, you know? I mean, unfortunately, I hope you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Or fortunately, I don't know, depending on which way well, you look at it. Nothing is nothing is absolute, nothing is forever, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that this is, like, culture is over at this point. I'm just saying that right now, it sucks. Well, this culture, this era of culture is is just fucking miserable. You know what's I was not joking when I said it was a zombie. <laughs> you know what's weird, though, that it is so strange that everything, everywhere, all at once came out, like, in between No Way Home and Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, and that's a fantastic film. Fantastic movie. You know what, though? I gotta say, I didn't love it. I really wanted to, and I didn't love it. I really liked it, though. Hmm. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't come out of that movie, like fist pump and being like cinema like All right, hang on I, i'm just writing your name down in the book i know i know but like i, I really liked it i i feel like i have to see it again um 
But it was great. You know what I liked? I liked when it looked really cheap. Is that strange to say? No. I liked that movie when it looked really cheap. Um, but Well, uh, look, here, here's something I liked about both that and Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, is that, like... You could totally tell, like, here's what we can do with what we have. Let's do all of it. Well, you know, yeah, I was getting to the same point. What I was trying to say was, like, part of, like, the depressing buildup to Multiverse of Madness, I was like, it's that thing of, like, where's the John Carpenter of today? Where's the Sam Raimi of today? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I kind of had, like, where's the Raimi? And, like, everything everyone at once kind of gave me hope of being like, okay, there are people out there like that still doing movies. Like, I'm not saying the Daniels are Raimi, and I'm not asking for, like, a one-to-one to Raimi, right? I'm just asking for guys who are like are shooting their shot like Raimi would, you know? Yeah, that are, yeah. Are overextending themselves way more. Yeah. And, I, I listened to uh, one of the DGA conversations with the Daniels and uh, Daniel Dustin Crutton, who did Shang Chi uh, and the fucking fantastic. Um, what's that? The first movie with Brie Larson, her, her like breakout role that the. Uh, 12 something whatever did you see that one short term 12 short term 12 yeah fucking great movie uh and he was asking them about like what what they uh like how they do it because he can't figure out like he didn't specify what his production he was referring to but he said he had trouble figuring out like how to make the 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 effects and the in-camera stuff look as seamless gee i wonder what movie that guy was talking Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. looking at his filmography (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the Daniels were like, oh, no, you pause the movie. Like, you're going to see fucking everything. And it's just like, yeah, I'm sure that is, but that's, like, totally okay because you you buy into it in we the need, in-universe of the film. We need to know? embrace that. Seeing, yes. We need to embrace seeing the strings. Like, I think that's... To me, it's not, you know... I think people just want to dunk on movies and be like, oh, this looks stupid. And, like, oh, why does this look fake? Blah, blah, blah. And it, I... To me, it's always fun when you can kind of see how they did it, you know? Yeah, people like, don't need to see that as, or don't need to try to make that a criticism. Make that, like, part of the joy of yeah. movies. It's what's fun about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 it's sad that, like, we don't talk about movies that way. Especially younger people. And I don't mean to dunk on young people, you know? I'm sure you'll, you guys will figure it out at some point. Yeah, I mean, you're mentioning, like, who's the next Sam Raimi? Like, where did Sam Raimi go? Like, I, I think a lot of this a problem, not just with Hollywood and culture, but, like, everything, is that we are in, like, a huge transition period. And this is the point we've talked about a lot, but I think it's important to bring up again, too. And it's that we don't know what the next looks like. And I think part of the reason I loved uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once so much was that, okay, I don't know if this is what it's all going to look like, but I think this is one of the steps to what the next era is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And that felt really exciting and refreshing. Mm-hmm. But it's also like a, a clearly like influence of everything that inspired them before too, you know. Yes. From kung fu movies to their their YouTube short films that the Daniels did that I, I can't recommend enough. They're all really weird and interesting. Also, um I have to say uh there was an article that went around recently where someone was like uh the success of everything ever all at once shows that kids are in the multiverses. <laughs> yeah, the Variety article yeah. by that writer who, sh- we, who said some shit before. We kind of uh, dunked on that. But I think there is something to the multiverse thing being popular all of a sudden. 
One, I think it speaks to a, a desperation we all have to escape the horrible reality we currently live in. <laughs> um, and two, there's also a weird, like... This was a few years ago. I don't know if you remember this. There was, like, a weird trend on TikTok that you could, like... They were telling kids you could, like, shift your body into other universes if you focused hard enough. What? Let me look up what it was called real quick. I I Uh, missed that one. Yeah, it was easy to miss, frankly. (laughs) Um, I'm also not on TikTok. Uh, No disrespect to people who are. I just, I I haven't done that. Reality shifting. Um, it's, It's a genuine thing that was, like, pushed on TikTok that, like, if you focused hard enough you could shift into the body of another person in a different universe, kind of like what Scarlet Witch does here. <laughs> mm. And take over. And that in an infinite number of multiverses, uh, there's a universe that fits you perfectly out there somewhere, so you should try to find it. And, um... Yeah, it says a lot that that stuff's getting popular with young people these days. <laughs> so I don't think that Variety article was totally misplaced. I Not, bet they weren't thinking about stuff like I, that. I would probably agree, but yeah. I'm just saying that... I think you just made a good point. They were talking about franchising and branding. Yeah, I'm sure that's what... But I'm, I am saying that there probably is something, too, that uh, that sort of the story of escaping our reality is now uh, going to be very popular going forward. Yeah, I can't imagine why. Um, no, no, I, I would agree with, with, with your read on that completely. Uh, that was a pretty good point. I want to leave it there. I have, like, at least one more point to make because this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's like, why do certain films use certain aspect ratios? What is the best way to present this film to people? People tend to use that cinemascope look, the black bars on the top and bottom, just to make it crystal clear right away. Mm -hmm. And they think, like, okay, that's cinematic. I think even Robert Rodriguez calls it the budget button, but he's the one who knows how to fucking frame a shot. That's why his stuff looks good, even when he doesn't shoot in CinemaScope. Yeah. He'll shoot in spherical lenses, which is what someone like James Cameron does. And you can use that a lot to convey a sense of scale, even if you're shooting in 1.85 by 1, uh, which is the traditional 16 by 9 type look uh, that you have on your computer screen or television screen or phone, etc. And I, especially with the Marvel stuff, I'm like, why the fuck is an Ant-Man movie shot in scope? Ant-Man mm. and the Wasp. Why was that shot in scope? Especially now that he gets so big. Wouldn't you want to convey that sense of scale by shooting an IMAX or something like that? Right? Or I bet for the micro photography it would look incredible like it does in the first film. Maybe not incredible, but at least interesting and different. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is like the first Marvel movie in fucking like a decade that's made me go, oh, that's why they shot this way. And you look at like the fucking compositions, the way it edits, the close, the, the focus on like Scarlet Witch's like ritual sanctuary when she's like body transporting herself into the mm-hmm. multiverse or whatever. And it's like as Mordo's doing what is an exposition dump, make no mistake. Yeah. It's this remarkably like fascinating approach to editing that's kind of showing you all the stuff that Scarlet Witch is doing while Mordo is explaining it. And then you get like these close-ups and these fade-ins with these eyes, this creepy imagery on the sides of the frame. And it's just like, oh wow, Raimi's using like everything he can right now. He's doing like the most 
and it was so much fun. <laughs> I was, I had a ball. I had the time of my life with this movie. Who know? Like truthfully, who knows if it's gonna hold up by the by the end of this, right? Yeah, like, yeah. By, but whatever. But it could just be refreshing right now. Um, it is. It is a little sad that, like, again, with like the wasteland of films we have right now. Um, with the you know, it maybe just looks good just because of what's around it. <laughs> but, but, but but something like that, an exposition dump feels alive because of the talent yeah. involved, you know. And that brought me lots of joy. And then also when the multiverse Illuminati bullshit that everyone was like, oh, we're going to bust open this franchise, all die immediately. I was so happy. Mr. Fantastic says he has wife and kids waiting for him back home, just like her. And then she still kills him as he's begging for his life and then his head explodes. (laughs) And it was the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I had a blast. It was it was inspiring creatively. It was a joy to watch as a fan. Um, Sam Raimi, God, <laughs> that's, there, there's a lot. We talked about a lot, but that's that's where I'm at right now with it. I agree. Yeah. Uh, what here? Here, let's let's end on a weird note. What do you think of Mister Fantastic? Um. Fine. Yeah, I'm not. I, look, I'm I, not. I, here's something interesting though. Remember, John Watts joined the Fantastic Four movie and then like immediately exited the Fantastic Four movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is something that like Marvel like doesn't use. Like Marvel at least is very good at like that sort of PR stuff. Yeah. What happened there? I don't know. I'm, Might be interesting if he starts dropping out of other stuff soon. Oh yeah, yeah. There's always that possibility, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. um. Part of me was like, did he not know that maybe they've made a deal with Krasinski and not told anyone? I assume the Krasinski thing is like a one-off, but... That would make this even better, in my opinion. But I think knows? that's fucking perfect. But now it feels like whoever they cast in his stead is going to get, like, destroyed on Twitter. Like, it's weird to give the fans what they want, and they go like, okay, we were just joking, guys. Yeah. It's kind of funny not to bring up Last Jedi again, but it's everyone was like, no, this isn't what we wanted. And it's like, well, here you go. You got what you wanted and not what you wanted at all. Mm-hmm. Like, this feels way more mean, in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's why I loved it. Mm-hmm. I will say this, uh, because of, like, basically the militarization of superheroes and celebrity in the mm-hmm. MCU, that... Krasinski is definitely not who I see as Reed Richards and not that I actually give a shit about like canon or the sanctity of these characters or whatever, but I do think he's a good fit for the Marvel universe and that's not exactly a compliment, but I do think he, he is like a fit for what these movies go for. And again, not inherently a compliment a version or a of, negative. A version of the Avengers that is called the Illuminati. <laughs> yes. But also just like the the MCU as a whole, like yeah. the I think in in the middle there they tried to question a little bit about like Here's the Avengers' something. place in the world as like a paramilitary group, and then just like left it at that. I think Here. he fits in with the paramilitary group. Here's something: if Tumblr was still big, could you imagine the fucking field day they'd have with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? Like they would oh, not because uh, they would not take this movie well. I bet they're not right now. Yeah, but no one's there anymore, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> no, now they're all on Twitter. They're just screaming at each other. So Yeah. 
Uh, as much as I liked Wanda in this, and like I find her a fascinating character, and I hope Elizabeth Olsen gets to do more roles now that she's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless they decide but not really. Back. But not really. Like that's this multiverse shit. Is that mm. now it's gonna? They're gonna. Anytime they want to bring someone back, they can bring them back. That's true. But so. um, I I was I just want to say that she is white feminist representation. A little bit, yeah. And it's like she's girl bossing her way through the multiverse. Mm. But also, women die like violently in this movie. Oh yeah, fucking! I love Peggy Carter. And she gets cut in half, and I was like, okay, this is awesome that they're all dying, but I was genuinely kind of bummed, because I was like, no. Um, I was there for it, frankly. And I love Peggy Carter, too. I don't want to, like... No, 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 I, I mean, like, like... No, it was awesome, but I was like, oh, I just like Haley Atwell, and I feel like she's someone else who hasn't really gotten They'll bring her... They'll Again, like, this multiverse shit, they're bringing everyone back. Like, nah, I'm fucking sure. These they're gonna people. fight Annihilus or some shit, like... No, not... Kang, I think, is is the guy they're building to next. And I Yeah, he already her. appeared on Loki, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. But, like, so they gotta save someone. So, it's gonna be, like, the fight Kang, and then it's... Like, oh, no, first... you know who it's gonna be, right? It's Galactus. Galact- Galactus and Doctor Doom. I'm sure Galactus will show up, but... Will he be the big bad, though? Because he's kind of, like, a step down from Thanos. I don't know. Unless they like really change his character, kind of like they did with Thanos. You know what they yeah. should? Do? They should just take all the shit that Thanos actually did in the comics and just give it to Galactus, because that stuff's a lot more interesting. I know, I know. <laughs> but hey, yeah, perfectly balanced as all things. That seems like a Galactus thing. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is in charge over there? <laughs> I'm gonna go talk to someone about this. Yeah, you hear that, Kevin Feige? Go back in. on your retreat. Yeah, you fucking elitist. I'm one of the, I'm with the people, the real fans. Oh no! The Scream real... Five ahead of the curve. <laughs> After Matt Gringo arrested for storming Marvel Studios. That's the headline. I, I stormed the new Avengers HQ section of fucking California Adventure, thinking I know be I'm there. so fucking full of shit because I had a blast at California Adventure. I, I, I beat up the poor guys there playing Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> Sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> uh, I like that the ending is like something out of Evil Dead. A lot of this is like something out of Evil Dead and Army of Darkness, but like the third eye appearing, I was like, this was so much fun. <laughs> it, yeah, li- it was so much fun. I actually like the double Raimi not giving a shit of being like, and on that, we're not even going to explain what the fuck is happening here. Yes. <laughs> and then immediately go to a post credit scene that just ignores that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I feel like he didn't shoot that. <laughs> he might not have, but I did kind of like the just not giving a shit of it all. Like, I was kind of like, yeah, don't bother. Like, who cares? Yeah. I it's mean, time. that's uh, that's the other negative thing here. It's like, everything I enjoyed about this movie doesn't matter because it will be changed in the next one. Well, I don't care about that at all. I don't. It, the movie should stand on their own. The text of each individual film, I'm fine with, you know? Yeah, no, like, no, me too. But it's like, that's why I can't look forward to anything, is okay. what I'm saying, basically. Like, okay. regardless if they were like, Sam Raimi's coming back and doing the next one, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's all. I don't, I, again, I don't care about the sanctity of any of this bullshit. But unfortunately, I do still like superheroes, so. Yeah, I think we're just doomed to liking them. Like, yeah. Until we make our own superheroes that are better than all this yeah. crap. Yeah. Like my character, Arachnid Boy. 
the human spider. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we've talked a lot today. Do you have anything else you want to add to this healthy discussion, Matt Garingo? Um, don't trust Whitey. Mm, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> Matt, thank you for joining me on this four-part multiverse madness retrospective. Yes. Uh, rank the movies we talked about today. Um, Pizza Papa. Uh, <laughs> um, oh God, uh, Kingo, Gamma Chan. <laughs> oh, oh my God, yeah. A, a video of Gamma Chan murdering me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she has an incredible interview. I think it was with Deadline or The Guardian. Oh yeah, I looked that, that up. That was good. Have, yeah. Have a blast. Um, Scram Five. Uh. Uncut footage of war atrocities. Oh my god. And then uh, No Way Home. Where, where can the people find you? And then, and then Jurassic World is below No Way Home. Okay. <laughs> I want to make that clear. That's still a worse movie. Oh, do you think Jurassic World 3 will be better or worse than Jurassic World? Um, I'm not going to bother finding out. <laughs> <laughs> I think inherently better because it has the original cast and that's it. I think that... If I find out you see that thing in theaters. Oh, um, no, no. Come on. I am showing up unannounced at your door one of these days. <laughs> it, it's 2022. I'm not, I'm not doing that. You're going to get invited by someone. I just No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm done doing that. All right. All right. We'll see. Yeah. I, I avoided the other, uh, the other Marvels. The only one I saw was Shang-Chi, and that was because of uh, fucking family, whom mm-hmm. I love dearly. And... Hey, and I loved significantly less after that movie. <laughs> no, no, no. They're great. They're great. They're it wasn't because PTA endorsed it? No. Sorry. I don't, I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Licorice Pizza was fantastic, though. Remember when, yeah, that's a good movie. Yeah. Really good movie. Guy makes good movies. Mm-hmm. I keep trying to talk my family into watching Phantom Thread, and they just won't listen to me. <laughs> that's another one that's just, like, fucking super fun and yeah. funny. It's a good movie. I think that's the thing. I can't convince them that it's like a funny movie. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. The stuffiness is the joke. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, did you already did you already plug your stuff? Your your account? I'm at EmperorOTN1 at Twitter.com. Get him a chance. Please me... call me. <laughs> uh, I, don't know. I was going to bring up more stuff, but I think I talked about it on the other episode I did on Doctor Strange already. So go check that out. Uh, over at the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, where you might not be able to see anything else for a while because Matt and I will be recording the the next run of retrospectives. So, wish us luck, I guess, or don't. I don't. I don't. Yeah, we'll figure it. We'll, we're doing stuff. We got stuff coming. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll release a poster of what we're gonna do soon. So yes, it'll be stay fun. tuned. Dan Doherty. Yeah, Dan Doherty is probably going to be the one guy excited about one of those movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Why didn't the Eternals acknowledge 9-11? We, we have been professionally They hit the fucking Pentagon. <laughs> no, you know what? Why didn't they just undo the snap? Yeah, man. They had the fucking Infinity Stones. Who? Fucking stupid-ass people writing these fucking movies. They hit the fucking Pentagon. <laughs>